Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. All right. You know, one of the things that I think that stewardship does for me, I, I count it incredibly high privilege because I think that was what we as humans are actually created to do. I am actually living my best life when I'm stewarding my life, my resources, my talents for His glory and to produce for Him that which extends His kingdom and glorifies Him. I'm actually living my best life doing that. The world tells you that you live your best life living your life for yourself, for your own appetites, for your own desires. Why don't you just feed your own drives? All of the things that you want to do, just do whatever you want to do. I think the best life is a life that's lived under the Lordship of Jesus. The other thing that stewardship does is that it actually makes me take my eyes off myself and put it onto something bigger. I don't know about you, but having that stewardship, that oikonomia revelation... I promise you, if I didn't have that, I would probably be the most self-absorbed person in the room. Thank God I have a Lord. How many of you are so grateful you have a Lord? Six of you. The rest of you wish that you were the Lord of your life. Come on, how many are so glad you actually have a Lord? Without Jesus as my Lord, I reckon I would be a law unto myself and I would probably wreck my own life. But that's not how Jesus created for us. Paul reminds us that we have one life to live and we all are going to be given account for how we steward our lives. Romans 14, verse 7. If you've ever thought to yourself, man, my own life is my own to do whatever I want to do with it, then Romans chapter 14, verse 7 is actually going to set you straight. Paul says this, For none of us lives our, for ourselves alone. Read that again. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord, our curios. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. It was a very Jewish way of simply saying, here on earth or there in eternity, you'd have to give an account to your Lord. He is Lord of both the living and the dead. So you are here on earth and the time is going to come where you're going to have to give an account for your life on the other side of eternity. Then jump down to Romans 14 verse 12. It says this, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. I want you to ponder that truth for a moment. That we have to live this life on earth. One day having to give an account to Him on the other side of eternity. What a joy when He's your Lord. Amen? Because otherwise, living like He's your Lord would be for nothing. But it should be terrifying if He's not your Lord. Come on, are you out there? No wonder the Bible teaches us stewardship and lordship. Because to have to give an account for a life of stewardship without actually teaching us about stewardship will be utterly unfair on God's behalf. But Scripture is so clear that when God teaches us, I am Lord and you're therefore steward, there is something very powerful about a person that takes up that mantle and assumes that space of stewardship. The day is going to come for all of us where we will stand before the Lord. And my prayer for us all is that we will acquire that divine accolade. Well done, my good and faithful servant steward. Makes sense to you? So it makes sense that if He's our Lord, then we are His stewards. But when you talk about stewardship, oikonomia, to oversee and look after things in this life that don't belong to us but ultimately belong to Him, then if He's your Lord and you're a steward, 
then it is highly likely that if you're a steward, you're going to be living a life of great legacy. How many of you know it's impossible to steward something well without leaving something behind that has eternal value for somebody else? Because good stewardship always leads to legacy. So this is the, the next part of my sermon from two weeks ago. So there's lordship, there's stewardship, and now we're going to talk about legacy. So today, the subject of my sermon is simply this, stewarding legacy. Stewarding legacy. Paul says this to 2 Corinthians 5. Again, he says this to the church in Corinth, very similar sort of sentiment to the church in Rome. He says, so we make it our goal to please ourselves. Does Paul say that? No, we make it our goal. This is your goal in life. If you want life goals, this is it. Please Him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it, whether you are here on earth or one day in eternity, your goal should be to please Him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body here on earth, in the temporal, whether good or bad. In the book of Romans, Paul uses the, the, the phrase God's judgment seat. In, here in Corinthians, he uses the judgment seat of Christ. He's not talking to unsaved people. He's talking to the church. Christians, the day is going to come where we'll have to give an account for our lives, the way that we live here on the earth. So what do we know? Well, we know that lordship is our primary revelation, and if he's our Lord, then we are, good, we are called to be good stewards. And if we're good stewards, it is inevitable as we steward that we're going to live lives that leave a legacy or we leave behind things that will outlast us or go beyond our own lifetime. I don't know about you, but uh, you know, I'm turning 48 this year, and I, and I began to think at the start of the year, what, what, is, what is life? What is my life about? And I started to ask myself these questions. I had like a midlife crisis moment. But here's what I've come to conclude. I don't just want to live my life. I want to live a life that matters to God. Yeah. I, I, we all should want to live a life that matters to God and, and to, to be able to steward this life while we're here on earth. And, you know, if we steward our lives well, it is inevitable that we'll produce a legacy or produce things that will last beyond our own lifetime. It is also my view that every single person, whether you recognize it or not, is stewarding something. If stewardship is busying your life, managing, dispensing, or attending to something, then we're all busy stewarding something. The question is, are you stewarding what has eternal value or simply stewarding what has temporal value? The question is, are you getting busy stewarding what will benefit others beyond our time or what only benefits us in our time? See, Romans 14, 7 reminds us, for none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. What does that mean? Paul was reminding the Christians in Rome. They were starting to get a little bit worldly. They're starting to live for themselves. Paul was reminding them, hey, hey, God created you not to live to please yourself, but to steward your life here on earth in a way that, has, that, that derives or produces great eternal value. Now it starts to make sense why all of Scripture has all of these big ideas, these big revelations all packed into one. He is Lord, He's Kyrios, He's Master, He's Owner. So we're therefore stewards. And if we're stewarding what belongs to Him, then we live a life of legacy. Now it makes sense why God introduces Himself in the early part of Scripture as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a generational God. Come with me. If He's not Lord, then we'll never be good, good stewards. And if we're never good stewards, we'll never leave a legacy and we never leave a legacy, then we can never honor a generational God. 
He's a generational God. That's why he asked us to live, live lives of legacy. We live a legacy-leaving life because we're good stewards. We are good stewards because he is Lord. Making sense to you? So lordship intrinsically prepares every single believer to think beyond ourselves. And that, my friend, is a very high form of worship. I don't know what you think worship is. Maybe you think worship is singing the songs that you love because it makes you feel good. That is actually a corrupted form of worship. Worship is about making Him Lord and living your life while we're on this earth as if He truly is Lord. And if you're living your life as if He truly is Lord, you're going to live a life that has eternal value, where you are doing things beyond your own lifetime that lasts long after you're gone. Why? Because He is a generational God. That's why at Nations Church, one of our values is that we are about the generations. It's impossible to be about the generations if you have no lordship revelation. You will never think about the next generation. You want to abort it. You will never think about the future because who cares about the future? Just live for the now. If lordship isn't your revelation, you'll never steward your life here on earth. You'll never leave a life of legacy and you'll never honor a generational thinking God. I need a resounding amen from somebody today. Thank God that we are living today in 2023 in the inheritance of people that have been generational thinkers across the last 19 years. The buildings right now that most of our campuses are in, most of you that are watching me through the screen, they were sowed into in the past that is now our present. I want one day, for some young people that are young today, that will one day be old, just like a lot of us in the room, to be able to say, I so thank God that in 2023, the nation's church of 2023 didn't stop sowing didn't stop being good stewards, didn't stop leaving a legacy. They, they, didn't, they didn't get comfortable and they didn't settle. I'm here today in this city, in this nation, checking my kids in the kids' church, responding to an altar call, getting whole, getting free in 2040, in 2045, because somebody in 2023 decided Jesus was their Lord, they were going to be good stewards, they're going to live a legacy-leaving life and honor a generational God. In the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing about building our future. And if you're new to Nations Church, which many of you are across all the different campuses, and you don't know what building our future is, well, building our future is an offering we take up over and above what we do every week with our tithes, where we give sacrificially and financially to establishing long-term permanency as an inheritance to the next generation of Nations Church people. That's what building our future is all about because I feel that this is the highest call of stewardship to do something now that is way bigger than ourselves. I, I don't know about you, but I believe that the local church is still God's vehicle of choice to reach the lost world. The local church globally all around the world is still God's vehicle of choice to reach a lost world. I don't know what you think of yourself as a believer or a Christian, but Jesus is not into superhero Christians that saved the world all by themselves. He uses his bride. Come on, if I've got some church people in the room, you need to be applauding. He uses the body of Christ. He does not use one superstar celebrity author to win the world. He uses his local church of every tribe, every tongue, every style, every shape, every size to reach a broken and lost world. Paul 
describes the church this way to Timothy. This is the intention of God at the early church phase in 1 Timothy 3.14. He describes, Paul describes the church to Timothy as this. The church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of truth. Do you know that the church, the local church, churches like Nations Church, you, want, you and I are, are the only pillar and foundation of truth. We can't rely on the media to be the pillar and foundation of the gospel truth. Hello, come on. We can't rely on universities or even the secular education system. We can't rely on newspapers. We can't rely on TikTok to be the, the pillar of foundation and truth, even though some of you think that everything on TikTok is true. The local church up to this day, as it has been for 2,000 years, remains as the only pillar and foundation of truth. I want, if you ever wonder, why is PK always, every year, harping on about building our future? Like, is this man insane? I'm passionate about this because I don't know if you realize, wherever you're watching in the world, it might be the same for you, but in Australia, the church and Christianity is in rapid decline. Did you realize that? I know you're in a good church, and I know that you come, you sing songs, you have tea and scones, you, you fight about car parks, and you complain about whether the music's too loud. But the church in Australia is actually in decline. If you don't know that, this is what the 2021 census has told us off the Australian Bureau of Statistics. You can find this straight on the website by Googling it right now. If you have a look on the screen... Christians, including Catholics, in 2016, we numbered in Australia 12.2 million people. In 2021, in just five years, we lost a million Christians. People that did not tick after five years in 2016 might have ticked, I am a Christian. A million of them decided not to tick it. Whereas the other religions gained 600,000 people. No religion gained 2.8 million people. Australia itself gained 2 million people. We grew from 23 million Australians to 25 million Australians, all the while losing a million Christians. I want you to ponder that for a moment. If you wonder why I'm so passionate about building the future of the church, that's why. And I don't know, if I'm, I'm taking this pretty personally. In our generation, in just five years, we have seen a Christian decline of 8%. Let's look at churches. This is through the NCLS survey of churches, all denominations, including Catholics. In 1991, there's over 12,500 churches. In 2016, there is no new data since then. It's 11,397 churches. And anecdotally, we know that that number is continuing to decline. Yeah. What am I saying? I'm saying that a church that is irrelevant in one generation will be extinct in the next. Yeah. Yeah. All across the pandemic years of 2020 and 2021, you might have heard some church pastors say, oh man, there's never been a better time. People are searching for hope. People are asking faith questions. You heard, have you heard that? Yeah. Through, yeah. Rubbish. None of that was true. They told you that to make you feel better about being locked down. Statistically, more Christians walked away from faith in the pandemic years than in any other time in Australian history. And then when we did reopen in Australia, 
This is how Christians came back. Slow, lukewarm, jaded, and probably 10 kilos heavier because of the COVID stuff. <laughs> Working three meters away from your fridge. I had one church pastor tell me, the bride of Christ has come back from the pandemic fat and lazy. I would have never said that myself, but funny. Churches closed down through the pandemic years. Many never recovered. We are not in a healthy way if we don't intentionally build the future of the local church. The ones that did shut either never invested in the next generation or never had their own permanent facility and were therefore vulnerable to whatever function room or school hall or community center decided what they wanted to do with that Sunday booking and it became too hard for them to find a meeting place. You might be asking, what has this have anything to do with me? It's none of my business what happens to the church. That is the church's problem. I wanna live my own life, spend my money my own way, do whatever I want. You can do that, but remember, we will all have to give an account for what happened, I'm going to have to give an account for what happened between 2016 and 2021 as a church pastor. You understand that? We are part of the bride of Christ. And I'm near, I think the Western church needs to reawaken again, that we are working again. I want to be part of a church that is bucking the trend of the Australian church decline. And that is why we build the future of the church. I need a resounding amen. Because you've got to understand, if you read the Bible, he's coming back. For his bride, he needs to come back for a healthy one, not an impoverished, anemic one. He's got to come back for a healthy bride, and that's why we build our future. It's the one thing we do as a church together in a united manner, to give sacrificially. The reason for that is because we have a shared future, and if we've got a shared future, then we've got a shared responsibility. If we've got a shared future then we've got a shared responsibility. If your kids today are in sprouts, rockers, or jump, then you share the responsibility with me. And I with you. If we have a shared future, then we have a shared responsibility. And this year, we're gonna be doing it again. Building our futures on the 11th of June, 2023, across all campuses, including online. It's the one time in the year where we sow financially and sacrificially to ensure that all our campuses and beyond have permanency in terms of buildings and facilities to pass to the next generation. We have buildings we need to pay off. We have buildings we're yet to buy yet, but need to. And we have buildings we need to extend. We're gonna sacrificially give together because I think it's one of the most unifying things that we get to do together. All in different locations, but one heart, different amounts, but equal sacrifice. That's the shared responsibility. Different amounts, but equal sacrifice. Whether it's a child that's going to be giving 50 cents or a dollar to someone that might be giving so much more, different amounts, but equal heart, equal sacrifice. We have a shared future, therefore we have a shared responsibility. And I want to say this, I want to put it out there. There are cities, locations, communities, and nations we're not in yet, but we're going to build the future into, so into we're going to have permanency one day in these places. We want our legacy to be strong because I don't want us to stand before God one day. I don't want to stand before God one day and say, you didn't tell your church to be legacy-leaving people. You taught them about blessing. You taught them about feeling good about ambience and you had great coffee, but you never taught them about lordship. You never told them about stewardship. You never asked them to be like, you never told them I was a generational thinking God. Why? I don't want to be part of an entire generation that is ambivalent 
about the local church and be okay with those stats. I want to be part of a church that one day has the Sprouts and Rockets kids that will be adults that might say, you know, I was alive in a time where the church in Australia was in decline, but my church bucked the trend. My church saw people got saved. We always had youth. We always had young adults. We always had incredible kids' ministry programs. We always had permanency. We didn't close down. Come on, are you out there? We survived the pandemic. It is our responsibility to steward legacy well. Can I go a little deeper with you? In the next few minutes, I want to remind you that when we talk about the generation, when we talk about legacy, when we talk about the future, it's impossible for us to steward legacy well without also honoring the past. You can't steward legacy well if you can't straddle the importance of the past, the present, and the future. These are not static words, but are continuously taking out on a new definition in the context of time because today is our present, but tomorrow it'll be the past. Tomorrow is our future, but when tomorrow comes, it will be the present. And then on and on again it goes. I'm not playing with words. I'm just trying to help you understand that what we do today matters. What we do with our finances in this life matters. The decisions we make in private today will one day be revealed in the bright lights of tomorrow. It is important for us to know today that a big part of stewarding legacy is also honoring the past because you will never be a good steward of what's in your hands if you don't have an appreciation of how it got there. You will never appreciate what's in your hands if you never know how it got there. Now, I'm a migrant kid, and I absolutely love and value the life I have here in Australia because I have a keen understanding of the sacrifices my parents made to move here, to start afresh, to give us boys an Australian education. The, 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 the times when, when I've, I've been tempted to mess my life up, I just remember, oh my gosh, mom and dad gave up so much. And that's a lot of the migrant story. We see, we see this understanding everywhere in Scripture. It's like Moses and Joshua had to constantly remind the, the, the nation of Israel, Rem- remember what the Lord did for you back then. That's why you're here now in the wilderness, actually drinking water from a rock and eating manna. Come on. Joshua had to constantly remind an entire generation of Israelites, remember, it was the God that got you out of slavery. He was the one that parted the rest. You don't know how to steward your present well. If you don't have an appreciation for the price that was paid by people in the past, one of the worst things you can do for your future is to be ignorant about your past. Because we are more willing to carry the responsibility of intentionally building the future when we get a greater revelation of how much we are the beneficiaries of the sacrifices of people that have gone before us. I just want to honor every single person in this room. If you've been a Christian for more than 40 years, and everyone in all the other, other campuses as well, if you've been a Christian for more than 40 years, can you just put your hand up? Like you've been a Christian, you've been a Christian for more than 40 years. Can we give it all, everyone that's been a Christian for more than 40 years, just a big hand. Give a big wave, everyone on all the campuses. I want to honor, if you've been a Christian for more than 40 years, I want to honor you because you've probably been someone that, the fact that you're still here in the house of God probably means that you've stewarded legacy well. I want to thank you for all of the times that you've carried someone else's baby, that maybe you've you've served at Kids Church one time in your life. I want to honor you for all the times that you've sown, not just tithe, but sown into building offerings, not, maybe not in ours, but in other churches. I want to honor all the times you've prayed, all the times that you've championed, all the times that you've just encouraged. The last 40, if you're still here, you've been a Christian for more than 40 years. We honor you today. We honor you today. You are worthy of honor. 
I, I, I particularly want to honor my mom and dad. I'm, I'm very fortunate they're here in this service. I want to honor my mom and dad. My mom and dad did not grow up Christians. They were saved out of Buddhism. And I remember mom and dad, you know, have always built the future of the church. They've always served the local church. I remember sitting down with mom. It was at dinner time at her house, like we do a lot of weeks. And we were just chatting over the dinner table. We started to talk about legacy. We started to talk about just, just what that means to her and, you know, uh, what, what, it, what it means to kind of serve the local church and, uh, you know, legacy. Oh, I'm obviously living as a beneficiary of all that they've, the price that, that they've paid through the years and what that's really meant to them. And I began to really ponder my own life in the natural. And I think about the spiritual legacy that I've been given because of the decisions they've made through the years. Like I said before, mom and dad got saved out of Buddhism when they were in their 30s. And from the day of their radical conversion, I've grown up in a house that served Jesus. And I've never seen a single year go by where my mom and dad have not built the future of the church that they were a part of. And both Chrissy and I are the products of the legacy of how our parents have stewarded legacy in many ways. I remember being new migrants to our wonderful country and Mom and dad were always faced with a choice. Do we build our own family's future or do we build the future of the church? They've always done both. They've always done both. And we've seen great blessing. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com.